Badger State Banner, Black River Falls, Wisconsin, 8 December 1892. Emma Ten, a Swiss girl whose home is in Fountain City, Buffalo County, and who had been working in the linen mills at Eau Claire, threw herself in front of a moving freight train at the Omaha Depot. The yard man dragged her off the track just in time. She said that she wanted to die because of the stories that had been told about her. 12 April 1894 Jack Murphy, a chopper employed in Herrick's camp near Minnecock, was killed by the Northwest Limited. The engineer noticed him on the track, standing with his arms extended and facing toward the approaching train. The engineer could not stop the train until the man was struck. 4 August 1898, quoting Thomas Kane, On Saturday evening I started out to repair the switch on the water tank and had gone some distance when I noticed a man coming toward me. At first I did not think anything about him, but as the man drew nearer I saw he was a strange man and was dressed in white. Upon close examination I noticed... The man was not walking at all, but gliding along the rails. When a short distance away, I asked him who he was and where he was going. Hardly had I finished the question when he vanished in the air. I felt rather peculiar. But on Monday night, I made the same journey. I saw the same object coming, and when a short distance away, it spread out its arms to full length and melted away. Monsters Today, or All the World is Paper. We all know that in every unknown land there are unknown creatures, and in everything unknown there is always something inconceivable. Thus the crux of our universe possesses preceding and predeterminate existences we cannot define, but which existences define us. Thus, behind your very back is always something that you cannot see. So do not be surprised by monsters today. There were five brothers, all native to Devonshire, England, toddlers, infants, 
and in utero come overseas to this territory, were brought by their English father and mother. Settling here, their father grew to utterly despise his wife after a year of hard scrabble and left her to raise the boys alone. She told the boys that their father was dead and had a cemetery marker to prove it under the oak tree across the road from the front gate. On the marker it said, All the world is paper. Nothing else, not even his name. But this is where he's buried, she told them. And once a year on a certain occasion, but not always on the same date, she had them gather with flowers and kneel there and read this psalm. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Just what their sins were, the boys never knew, but certain they were that they had them, for their mother was certain that they had them. She baptized them herself in the stream under the willow tree before a crowd of her neighbors, and though she thought the minister at the local church was not as Puritan to the bone as he ought to be and thought the congregation backsliding, she took the boys there every Sunday faithfully. The boys worked the farm with diligence, and they were modestly successful. The modest success promoted a modest manner of living, modest dress, and no immodest possessions. They had never known drink or swearing. They had no other book but the Bible. The boys grew to manhood, and she never let them know about women. Though the boys saw women at church, she told them they were sin. It were sin to look at them, she would even tell them. It were sin to think about them, she told them. So they tried not to. Their mother, though herself a woman, had grown into such a neutering oldness that she had not a vestige of the feminine about her. Always wore long and blousy, wash-worn and unattractive dresses and kept her hair covered by a kerchief or a cap. If she were a model of woman to them, she would give them no appetite to marry. Now it happened that the only person the old woman allowed on to the farm was the peddler. For the utility of his trade, she allowed it, and also because he was the only intelligent person she had met since coming to this godforsaken land, and who knew Devonshire from personal experience and even knew some of her kinfolk back home, and could tell tales that she knew were true, if a bit familiar. And he was respectful, chaste in word and etiquette, and a square dealer. She let the boys talk to him, even when she was not within earshot. She trusted him. But he told them all tall tales, that they loved to hear when she was not present. He told them about the hodags, and the wobblecats, and the hide-behinds, all monstrous animals of these parts that few have lived to see, and many only heard in the forests where the loggers go up north. 
Most of these were lumberjack stories, he told them, but he believed them true. The Hodog was like a wild boar, but bigger and more fiendish. Tusks from his mouth and horns on his head and spikes on his back and claws on his hooves. He could tear a man to shreds and was known to eat human flesh. One had been captured and shown at the state fair for many years until it escaped in a train wreck when its cage broke open. The hide-behinds had never been seen, but were known to make sounds that lured men out into their fields at night, where they would disappear, and where for several days after they could be heard calling distantly for help in the vacant space of that field, as though lost in a lightless, doorless chamber of submerged reality, until their despondent pleas faded pathetically. Wobblecats were the bane of lumberjacks. Like the hide-behinds, they made noises at night. But no jack was stupid enough to go and do a look-see, though a few greenhorns who'd gone were to be found tore up and blubbering, so the stories tell. But Jack said that wobblecats crouch in the trees and trip dead men to fall down. Dead men that have withstood tempests and blizzards, but just so, when some luckless, unwary jack passes beneath it, the cunning wobblecat trips it and it drops and kills him. Wobblecats snag the pants legs of river pigs as they dance the big float of logs, smashes them in the heaving clash and splash, and traps them underwater and makes them drown. Wobblecats eat the assholes out of the cattle and leave them to lie down and die in the pasture where farmers have found them suffering. Such strange ways of doing, accidents and oddities as most folks call them, were almost always the doings of wobblecats or hide-behinds, the peddler told the boys. And there are soul-suckers, the peddler told them. Leaning toward them from his seat on his wagon, speaking confidentially, as the boys stood, wrapped in the hot sun, their homey picket fence and their familiar front yard close behind them. The old one called them by the old name, Bile. The peddler spat a hawk of phlegm to the dust. A Bile will look like you if he wants you, he continued. Before that, he looks like nobody or like someone you don't notice. People ignore what they do not notice and forget that they even saw what they did not notice. A bile can be near you and not be seen because you don't notice him. The youngest brother asks, How can I tell if I do see one? There's one living t'other side of those woods, the peddler said. The peddler said, he would not answer any questions. He said the less they knew, the better for them. That the last thing he wanted was for them to go looking for a bile. He was sorry that he'd mentioned it and hoped they'd just forget. He did not want to talk about it. He said the wobble cats and hide-behinds were dangerous, but he knew many men who had survived those awful creatures. But a man who meets a bile is a man who looks into his own self 
and sees nothing but depthless darkness, and he knew no one who has survived such a horror as that emptiness which lies inside a man. Better that you do not doubt yourself, the peddler said, straightening up on his seat. Such is a fool, but such is a wise fool. The peddler sparked his team and left them. After the peddler went, the brothers talked about what they'd heard for a while. There was no disputing it, and little they could do but affirm it all in wonder. They stopped talking. The wind swirled and knocked the front gate of the picket fence. They all looked across the field to the rolling meadow, where some shifting cloud shadows made brindled green waves, and above that to the dark oak woods that the peddler had spoken of, like the porch to a haunted house. And they all had the same thought, but no one said anything about it. They crossed the road to the oak tree across from their gate. They stood at its shade, thinking privately for a time. The oldest brother spoke his thoughts first. Well, said he, I am the oldest, so it should be me. I will tell you what I seen when I get back. And with no more preparation and not another word, he took to walking across the field and was watched by them for as long as it took for him to top the meadow and enter the woods and disappear. These woods are older than the pinery that white men have destroyed. It was woods that were more ancient than the Indian for they had withstood the inundation and assault of domination of the pinery as it grew all around it. The white pine, minion of the pinery, was brought by the Indian to this land. Though this is an idea to which no science has been applied, it is honest to believe that the Indian bore this humble seedling during his ancestral migration to the Americas. For the white pine is the plant of their element, just as the monarch butterfly depends upon the milkweed. Just so, the British pilgrim brought his ubiquitous sparrow, loosed from twiggy nests in the masting, and let go wild his infesting English ivy, rampant from a single splint dormant on some salvaged ship's lumber, and now both are everywhere upon the continent. Solemn and ancient as they were, these woods contained many plants and creatures that were entirely unknown to the young man, and he was made to feel more keen and aware because of this strangeness than ever he had felt before. Startled by unexpected sounds and nervous with anticipation, he made discovery on discovery with amazement and glee. He laughed at what he saw. Just like the pilgrim who was thrown from the prow when the ship called the light struck the reefs of Bermuda, who was cast into the sea, plunged underwater among coral shoal into an infinity of squirming polychromic anemone and swarms of luminous fishes, and who from a realm of gray normalcy found himself lost in a slow-moving, time-suspending, vivid, vivacious reality, 
unknown and unimagined by him or anyone known to him, found himself somehow able to breathe, wandering in surrounding oceans of surfeit, color, flavor, sensuality, music, and charm. Like that chaste pilgrim in that magical state, hidden in his old world, the oldest brother discovered a new world of arch beauty and rich pleasure. Laughing, he found flowers bright as India's turmeric, flora scented of cinnamon and cloves, birds nebulous as bubbles and fast as rain, voices of unseen creatures singing like chimes, and pools of feathery ferns about his waist, stones racing from his feet like mice round as shot, chattering, and amber glass leaves above him, speckling him with shivering prisms. Then he became aware, as he looked at these strange marvels, that there was a man he had not noticed. The man he had not noticed was old, like his mother. But when he noticed him, he thought that he recognized him. He thought that he looked like himself. When he was noticed, the old man said, My son, I'm glad to see you. The young man was astonished and did not reply. The old man said, Do you not know me? The young man shook his head, but of course he did recognize him. And the old man said to the young man, if all the world were paper, and all the sea were ink, if all the trees were bread and cheese, what should we have to drink? The old man had steadily approached him as he spoke this verse to him. He stood very close to the young man. He could reach out and touch him if he wished. The old man asked, Do you know the answer? The young man said, I do not know. The old man touched his face, and the young man's face changed from happiness to fear, to desperate terror, to despair. And in this transfiguration, his mind passed from consciousness to nothingness, and his body passed from life to death. His fallen corpse was faceless in the dead leaves. The bile was also faceless.
Keening brothers still sat in the shade of the oak tree across the road from their gate. When the older brother did not return as the afternoon wore down, the next older brother said he would go to find him. And with no more preparation and not another word, he took to walking across the field and was watched by the remaining brothers for as long as it took him to top the meadow and into the woods and disappear. They spoke little, and the time the brother was comfortably permitted to succeed in his rescue was soon consumed. And in the anxious interval of the dangerous waiting, the brothers who remained grew more worried and became very afraid as the time passing ached in their awareness. What the peddler had warned them must be ominously true. The next two oldest brothers announced they must go and find the first two brothers, and told the youngest brother that if they did not return, he must not follow them, but should tell their mother what had happened. The younger brother objected to be left and said he would go after them if they did not return, like his other brothers, and that he would find them all. But with no more preparation and not another word, the two older brothers took to walking across the field and were watched by the younger brother for as long as it took for them to top the meadow and enter the woods and disappear. The younger brother waited and watched and did not see his brother's return from the woods. He knew his mother was baking in the house because he could smell the bread, and he knew she would be calling them to dinner soon. He knew he must tell her, he entered the kitchen as his mother was removing her baking pans from the oven. And from the threshold he said, Mother, the brothers have gone to the woods to find the bale, and they have not come back. She set down the baking pans with the loaves on the kitchen table and sat as though feeling faint. But she did not express the feelings that she felt. Calmly, she asked him to explain and she listened to everything he said before she said and did anything. Then, when the youngest brother had finished and could not decide what more to tell his mother, he intemperately vowed that he would go to find them. She looked at him so fixedly that he thought she looked like Jesus at the judgment. And she got up from the table and went to the cupboard, and in a small drawer where she kept sewing things, she got out her shears and a bundle. Unfolding the bundle, a patch of calico fabric she had once saved, she showed him a stack of five small hand mirrors, which she had bought from the peddler. And she told him what to do with them. Then she took her shears in her right hand, and she cut off the small finger of her left hand and quickly bandaged the wound with the calico cloth and bound her hand with the apron. She told her younger son to pick up her finger and told him what to do with it. And she said she did not feel well and would lie down in bed for a while. Now, he heard the racket of the birds from the front of the house, and the younger brother knew what he must do. Doing as his mother had told him, he went outside. 
and went through the front gate, where he saw, as his mother had foretold, that the oak tree had become a rookery of crows, and the cackling din of their hundred calls was terrible and deafening, like the shrieking agony of the damned in hell. The tree itself could not be seen for the density of crow upon it, so many there were. As his mother had told him to do, he tossed her finger under the tree to the mound of his father's grave, and the crow descended as a furious cloud to swarm, quarrel, and struggle over the meat and bone. One, at last, taking it in his mouth, turning it from the tearing beaks of the others, swallowed the whole finger like he would a fish. And at once the great flock of crow took to flight and flew in all directions except the one which cawed at the younger brother, cocked his head, and gave him a beady black eye and cawed again. When the younger brother went into the field to cross it to the meadow and to the woods beyond, the crow rose with several heavy flaps of wings to ride the air above him, and circling above and occasionally calling, followed him. When he climbed above the field on the grassy meadow, he paused to watch the wood. He saw nothing move therein. The circling crow cawed. When he stood at the porch of the woods, he paused to look deeply through its shadowed, staggered columns. He saw nothing move therein. The crow soundlessly flew to a branch of a tree beside him. The two entered the wood silently, the younger brother going before and the crow sailing branch to branch behind him. Like his oldest brother, he found many things unknown to him in the woods. Flowers like pitchers, fungus like gills, flying insects like the filaments of flames. And he was awed. But he did not laugh with his delight. But he was wary and intensely earnest. Then, like his brothers before him, he became aware that there was a man he had not noticed. The man he had not noticed was old like his mother, but when he noticed him, he thought that he recognized him. He thought that he looked like himself. When he was noticed, the old man said, My son, I'm glad to see you. The younger brother was astonished and did not reply. The old man said, Do you not know me? The younger brother shook his head, but of course he did recognize him. Then the old man said, If all the world were paper, and all the sea were ink, if all the trees were bread and cheese, what would we have to drink? And as he had spoken this verse, he had steadily approached the younger brother so that he stood so close to the young man that he could reach out and touch him if he wished. The younger brother took one of the hand mirrors out of his pocket, and just as he had been told to do, he put the mirror in front of his own face and said to the mirror as he looked at his reflection, This is my face, 
and as he had been told to do, he dropped the mirror and stepped on it and broke it to pieces. And the Baal was surprised, and before he could reach out for the younger brother, the crow flew at the face of the Baal, which became black as the crow. At that moment, the younger brother turned and ran out of the woods. The Baal followed him. He did not hurry to follow him, but appeared sometimes beside him out of the corner of his eye, though the younger brother ran as fast as he could. He would even seem to be in front of him, appearing to be waiting for him, but the crow would fly at the Baal and distract it. Then the younger brother stopped at the porch of the woods and looked back, and the Baal was immediately before him, repeated his verse, and the younger brother raised his second mirror and spoke to it, This is my face, and dropping the mirror, stepped on it and broke it to pieces and turned and ran down the hills of the meadow into the fields of his farm. The Baal followed still, now almost astride him, now seeming near as his shadow on the ground, and may have touched him except the crow attacked it again and again and warded the touch it attempted. At the edge of the field, the younger brother stopped again, and the Baal was before him, and the third mirror was broken after the incantation his mother had told him, and again the crow saved him and now he ran across the field. The bale followed furiously. The younger brother felt it upon him like a swarm of poisonous insects. He was stung, but he was not stopped. The crow tore at the black face of the bale. Under the oak tree atop his father's grave, the younger brother stopped, and the bale, stalking him, approached wearily but determinedly, defying the crow. And as he approached, the younger brother saw the face he recognized, but took out the fourth mirror and raised it and spoke his incantation and dropped it and smashed it with his heel upon his father's grave. And now he did not run away as the bale paused upon the grave and looked at it. The younger brother crossed the road and opened the gate without looking back. The crow flew into the oak tree and cawed. The bale stepped out from beneath it, and as the younger brother turned to the threshold of his house and looked back, the bale was entering the gate and approaching him. The younger brother placed the last mirror on the threshold before him. Then the bale said, If all the world were paper, and all the sea were ink. If all the trees were bread and cheese, what should we have to drink? The bale had steadily approached him as he spoke this verse to him. He stood very close to the young man. He could reach out and touch him if he wished. The bale asked, Do you know the answer? The younger brother replied nothing. The bale reached to touch his face. And as he reached out, he stepped onto the mirror. And when he did, a signal of blinding light blazed up to the top of the sky. And the bale was sucked into the mirror as if he had stepped into an abyss. And immediately, as he'd been told to do, the younger brother smashed the mirror with his heel.
Some who tell this tale say the brothers came home one by one, one from inside the woods, one from the edge of the woods, one from the edge of the field, one from his father's grave. Appearing there, stunned, and with no memory of what had happened. Others tell that the old woman went to these places and found the broken mirrors and buried the pieces in the grave of her husband. All who tell the tall tale tell that the crow lived in that tree evermore and tell that the broken mirror on the threshold was picked up and the pieces of it were pressed into the bark of the oak tree at different levels along its trunk and at places all around it, so that for a long time, until the bark overgrew the pieces, the tree gave off weird glints in the sunlight, in the moonlight, and when lightning flashed. And people said that where those shots of sudden light bang the earth, it scorches the soil, and there grows a corpse plant. And where it goes to heaven, there it shoots out a star. Thank you.